Bonjour. Welcome to the Dexabit Data Diaries. This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So who's got the best voice? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Data Diaries. I'm Angie Judge from Dexabit and today we've got something a bit different, a bit special, a bit glorious. We're talking about NFTs or non-fungible tokens, a name that sheds no light for those of us that are new to this, but Digital assets of sorts which exist in the digital universe is a way of holding value and investment. They're simultaneously a form of cryptocurrency and a form of art or collectibles, which is all clear as mud if you ask me. They are, though, the latest, dare I say it, hype in the digital world. And so here today to give us the download and what it all means for the visitor attraction sector is NFT Startup glorious. We have the great Murray Tom and James Blackie. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Thanks Angie. Thank you so much. So let's get the most important thing out of the way first. Is it cooler to say NFT or nifty? Um, <laughs> well, no, it's it's nifty, of course, I believe is a, a trademark for another company. So I think most people, we call ourselves glorious, you know, glorious digital and we're in the business, of, we're in the NFT business. So that's, that's um, it's way cooler for us if we go NFT. Oh, well, I will stick to that one then. So I'm going to level with you both. When I first heard about NFTs in the art world, I had a bit of an eye roll moment. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to admit this publicly, but unlike Paris Hilton and Tiger Woods and whoever, yes. I just haven't been able to get into this whole blockchain and crypto thing. And maybe yes. it's a bit of cynicism left over from GFC or I'm old fashioned or... There was a few sort of early misfires in the art world. I'm thinking, of course, of Beeple, the artist that went from, what, 100 to 69 million with a collection of digital art that was pretty crass and homophobic and a bit racist. So when I saw the story about Glorious, though, it really caught my eye because of who was behind it. Not only is your team, as we would say here, world famous in New Zealand, but one of your co-founders, rugby star Dan Carter, is just plain old world world famous and the superstar lineup of names you've got signed from Neil Finn to Lisa Rayhana it's beyond impressive so what was the trigger for you all to come together in this new venture well you know everything you have said Angie I think we would all agree a hundred percent with and it was my friend Scott McCleaver who was you know you know just an amazing guy he's global lead for digital innovation for PwC. So, you know, he's an absolute heavyweight. But to reinforce part of your introduction, he sent me a text and he goes, mate, he goes, what do you know about non-fungible tokens? And I'm reading this text and I'm thinking, I have no idea what your predictive meant to say, but I'm sure it didn't mean to say that. And of course, that was only back in February or March, which is probably a lifetime ago in tech world. But my interest could not have been less. And to, again, reinforce what you're saying, when I looked at the world of NFTs, I think what I saw was that they all had in common was that that they were overpriced and uninspiring. They had all that in common. And my interest was close to zero in anything to do with it. The moment of change came for me when I understood that a traditional artist, let's call the, a painter, something that you'd hang on your wall, would take their work to a gallery and let's say sell their work for $50,000 and they would get a portion and the gallery would get a portion. 
And then let's say, and let's say that sold, you know, for 50 and then it on sold for 100 and then it on sold for 200. The artist only ever profited from the very first sale. When I appreciated that digital art on the blockchain was a continuing revenue source for the artist for every recurring sale, that moment, Angie, I thought, okay, there's something mm -hmm. really quite significant going on here. And that was my way into the business. And that remains, as it were, you know, really what I'm all, what I'm all about anyway. I was the person that named the company, the NFT company, Glorious, because it said everything I wanted to say about who we were, who we were going to partner with, and our hopes for the future. And our byline, I'll just finish with this, is authentic digital masterpieces. I said that in a world of, or in a platform of hype, if we were world-class content, that would always endure and it would always have value. Angie, I said more than I wanted to say, but that gives you probably a fairly good foundation of how we got to be where we are now. Love it. And James, I think I'm going to have to ask, maybe if we can back the truck up a bit, WTF is an NFT. Can you explain it to me like <laughs> you would with your grandma and tell me about what's different um, about Glorious's offering? The way I explain it to a sort of a, a more octogenarian audience is that, look, if an artwork's magnificent enough that the public wants a, a memory of it, if you go and visit a museum and, and you see it and you want to remember it at home, you buy a poster print, right? And you take that home and you might frame it. And that creates for you a, a visual memory of, of that original in your home. And, and the poster's role is to, is to up the, the mana of the original artwork. Now, as an aside, the sale of those poster prints, they create an income stream um, for, the, for the artist or the institution that licensed it. Problem with poster prints is the quality's low, right? The, the ink will fade, the paper's full of acid, and they're valueless as soon as you've taken them out of the shop pretty much valueless so nfts are an invention that has allowed digital images of of masterpieces or an artist's original work to be properly controlled additioned authenticated and that means their replication can not only become digital and, and therefore globally accessible it doesn't matter where the artist is geographically they can also make it scarce by limiting the addition of the digital copies down and therefore that can carry value, right? So if, if the digital copy has authenticity and provenance, then it can carry value where the poster print and, and any other digital copy of an artwork like Google Images or wherever you find it can't. So it makes the possibilities for NFTs endless. Um, for, for major institutions around the world, a lot of them have been closed because of COVID and, and NFTs, if they're, if they're selling NFTs of artworks, they're creating an income stream. But there's... The potential is huge for educational tools or for people who can't travel or, or people who, who want to have the experience of standing in front of an artwork and, and can't get to it. I quite like this comparison to the poster print because merch is something we can all relate to in the sector. And I've always loved the idea that it's a way of making the experience accessible and allowing visitors to take a bit of the visit home with them. Mm -hmm. So thinking about this visitor attractions world, the applications, it seems, for digital art are fairly straightforward for art museums. I know one of our customers, ICA Miami's, just made their first acquisition. The British Museum selling a couple of hundred Hokuso works in tandem with an exhibition and complete, ironically, with a physical pop-up store. But I take it that there's more than just art in this industry here. I'm thinking of zoos and the Bored Ape Yacht Club 
or aquariums and the pudgy penguins NFTs. And then there's theme parks and film studios and halls of fame and the sports stadiums. What is the potential here for the wider visitor attraction sector? I think the thing that NFTs really provide for anything for a zoo, an aquarium or library is it's about connection. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be a glorious artwork. The, the thing that really differentiates glorious from from I think a lot of other NFT platforms is that everything that we are going to make will be a glorious artwork on a screen. It will it will look stunning. But NFT is actually a term that relates to the sort of the smart contract behind these entities that allows amazing things to happen. So as I said before, you can authenticate and you can limit the addition, but you can also open connections between your fans and and connectivity is massive. And that's where I think potentially the the majority of, of the power of NFTs lies. That if you have a zoo or an aquarium or a stadium, so a stadium if you have an NFT of a stadium, you might be able to enable first tickets of any any yeah. concert that's going on show there or, or sporting fixture. If it's a zoo, you might invite in people who hold your NFT to see an unveiling of a new animal. Or, I mean, a lot of people contribute to these local institutions. People donate money to keep their local zoo alive. But if you are creating an NFT, then you have that connection you're still providing the, fris- the fiscal support and you know that money's going straight to them, but they then have a direct conduit of communication back to you to make you feel properly connected to the institution that you're trying to support. And that's incredibly powerful. And, and just adding to that, what James is saying, you know, like take a zoo, you know, if I've got an NFT for a zoo, James is right, I'm supporting, you know, the institution financially. But hey, maybe all the NFT holders can get in half an hour earlier or stay half an hour later. In other words, there's all manner of rights and privileges that can be, you know, added or or sold with the NFT. Even take a work of art, you might buy a digital work of art and then find that you can go to a, a, you know, to to a gallery and you'll have a, a professor speaking on the subject, you know, there's. I love all the rights that and uh, that go in and around the NFT, in addition to the actual um, digital asset itself. I love this connection to membership and loyalty because that's a real focus for so much of our industry right now. It's recurring revenue, it's support from membership, which has held so many venues through closure when their revenue otherwise disappeared. So I can understand it from the visitor's perspective or the member's perspective. Murray, in a a world where anyone can download or copy digital art or assets, what is the point of ownership? Is it just flex? Um, Listen, I think there is an element of flex. There's no two ways about that. But I think that, you know, if you take a work of art that's near and dear to you, and of course, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But, you know, I've already got my eye on two or three editions that Glorious is going to be coming out with. And to take your point, if I can actually, listen, I've got art, I've got physical art all over my walls, for goodness sake, at home, right? I haven't got room for another piece of art. What I love about the digital art is that it's going to go on a screen. If you think about our screens all around the world, we've got black television screens lying dormant in the corner, right? Until TV comes on. And what digital art does, it it enables you to put something compelling you know, is somewhere that you've never had it before. And not only can I have a, a piece of digital art, but then the following day, I can change it to another piece of digital art that I own, as opposed to, you know, knocking in holes and walls and trying to shift my art 
James has probably spent his whole life doing that. But <laughs> also it means that, you know, I've got something, as James said before, that is actually authenticated by the artist. It's on the blockchain. We've got a series of really the owner, really the blockchain is all about a digital ledger. It's as simple as that. So look, for my part, I'm very, very keen to purchase something that is an original, if you will, and and own it. Uh, we've all got different tastes. People might buy theirs and sell it. I don't know that I've ever sold a piece of art in my entire life, so I'm probably unlikely mm-hmm. to sell my digital art, which probably isn't good for the glorious business model, but but all that to say, I've got I'm very energized about this. And James, can you connect an NFT to a real world object? And what does that mean if that object is held in the permanent collection of say a, a museum and it's not going anywhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is happening all around the world. I mean, in the last month, the Uffizi in Florence, the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, the British Museum, as you said, are releasing NFTs of their masterpieces. And those masterpieces aren't leaving the walls. And in fact, in some cases, like the Hermitage did a Da Vinci, a Giorgione, a Kandinsky, Van Gogh and Monet, and they released those five NFTs, but they actually released them as an addition of two and the Hermitage retained the second edition. So they're keeping the original artwork on the wall, and there's one NFT sold and one edition kept in the um, in the museum. But as you said, the hawker size in the British Museum, they might do an edition of 1,000 or 10,000. So you can absolutely collect an NFT of, a, of an original artwork, and you're not buying the artwork. And it's very different. In the bricks and mortar art world, there's there's the ability to fractionalize paintings and it means you can buy like effectively a square millimeter of a Picasso or a Jean-Michel Basquiat and and you know that you own a, a square millimeter but you're never going to get your hands on the painting because it's you only own that small amount and and that painting is kept in a store in the dark somewhere in New York in a, in a secured warehouse and then five years down the track they sell it and, and you make your money because because the value of artwork's gone up. Now to me that's pretty base kind of speculation it's not it's not particularly attractive it doesn't have the 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 beauty and wonder that comes with collecting art but if you buy an nft of a masterpiece you have that nft an authenticated copy on your screen at home that you get to enjoy and you know that the purchase of that nft has gone to support the museum that houses the original and then as as Murray was saying before you can have all these these kickbacks from the museum you might get in an hour earlier and an hour of private time in a, in a major museum like that is I mean that's priceless to, to people who want to own an original Rembrandt or a uh, you know NFT um, mm. or a um, Da Vinci. So it's not just the original that ownership applies to you can create renditions too what are some of the ethical or legal aspects to think about around that? I think some of the big ones are things like royalties, whether the whether the royalty still applies, if the artist is still alive or has recently died, then royalties last, depending on your country, sort of around the 50-year mark. And so it's whether, for a lot of the artists that we are representing through Glorious that are still practising artists, they will retain the copyright themselves. And as Murray said, every time it sells, they'll get the money back on, on the secondary market artist resale royalty type scheme. But when it comes to an institution then you want to know whether the copy, the NFT that you have of that masterpiece is authenticated properly by the institution that houses that masterpiece. And so it's, it's up to you as a collector to go and, and make sure that if you're looking at buying a, a, um, 
da Vinci NFT to make sure that it's actually come from a reputable place. You know, if it's come from the UFTSI and, and that the, the contract that you're buying says UFTSI Gallery and, and you know therefore it's the right one. Because everywhere in the art world, there's the opportunity to fall into, into, into the pitfalls of it and, and you still have to have your wits about you. But the authentic, authentication system of, it means they can't be forged or faked. It's just making sure you know what you're buying and you buy from a reputable platform. Part of what Glorious is, is the, is the promise of quality and that you know that if you're buying anything through Glorious, through our app or through our platform or by any of our represented artists or content creators, then you're getting quality and that NFT will retain value. It's obviously a bit unknown what that value will be and particularly with the examples we've seen around the world of crypto punks skyrocketing you know that that's an unknown and that's that's to be found down the track but it's it's on the head of the buyer to make sure that you know what you're buying and, and buy from an authentic and valued platform mm, and I guess to come back to your point around copyright and your original parallel around merch it's not dissimilar to an art museum creating tea towels often artwork or um, yeah. the poster to take home what what would selling these rights give to this owner for something that's, say, held by a museum? What What are the sorts of ramifications that should be thought through? Well, they're not selling reproduction rights. I mean, you only, if as an NFT holder, you generally have the right to enjoy, view, display your NFT, and that's pretty much it. If you, if you, just like in the bricks and mortar art world, if you replicate something, if you buy a painting, you generally don't own the copyright. 99% of the time, you don't buy the copyright with the artwork that you've purchased. So if you replicate it with a digital camera and turn it into a very high-res poster print and start selling them, then then your head's on the block. You're not allowed to do it. It's a, it's a breach of copyright. And it's the same with NFTs. You are entitled to view them and enjoy them, but you're not allowed to replicate them in any way. And they're not the easiest things to replicate because those smart contracts are unbeatable. When it comes to sell, the time to sell, like a lot of people have said to me, oh, well, why would I have an NFT if I could just find a, a high-res image of the mm. same painting and just put that on my screen? And that's fine. And I hope you do. Because if I own the NFT and you put a, a Google image of it on your screen, then you're elevating the mana of the NFT and the original. So you're doing the, you're helping with the whole fame generation of the originals, the, of the authenticated copies. And at the time that, that you and I come to sell, if I own the NFT and you have a Google image, then then that's when you find out one is valuable and one is not. And we've touched a little on this already from a loyalty perspective, but what's the what are the sort of benefits around for the visitor attraction? Is it purely revenue or are there other th- other business benefits or even academic benefits. I'm thinking particularly here for our cultural institutions. Should we be thinking about things like brand innovation or collections accessibility, social media engagement, connecting with non-traditional audiences? What does that big picture look like? It's actually everything you just said there, Angie. You know, I I think that whilst it's got a fantastic, uh, potentially tremendous revenue streams from the NFTs, the, the engagement with members and fans is extraordinary because you can add as many, you know, look, to, to, you know, you mentioned Dan Carter back in, in your intro, Angie, you know, the famous All Black. And I think as part of his NFT, 
you know, some NFT holders might be able to go to a, to a kicking session with him. You know, I mean, so, you know, I mean, that's that in itself is priceless. So there's all manner of fan engagement that can actually be part of the NFT. Um, and I think that and having access to the artists, having the artist maybe be able to communicate with, let's say, 100 NFT holders or 1,000 NFT holders, you're really part of a community not a Facebook community, which is endless, or an Instagram community, but a community that the artist is actually engaging with, I think is actually phenomenal. Mm. And just to add to that, there's there's a whole new generation that's coming through in the way of audiences. I mean, obviously, most of my examples are art because I'm an art dealer, but museums are finding that their their audience is aging. The average age is, is, is going up. And NFTs are a way to to create a new audience globally that aren't actually walking through the doors of the institution and, and standing in front of paintings, but they do want to be involved. And to extrapolate that out, then it might not be that people want to go and visit a zoo. And in fact, you know, I might, I might want to own a, a New York zoo NFT, but I can't visit the New York zoo, not least because of COVID, but because there's a fair amount of water between me and there. But but I have that connection and and... I might want to, I don't know, buy an NFT of, of an animal there. And you're creating a support network around the world of a, of, a, of a youthful audience that's coming through that the institution might not be getting physically. Yeah, right. And in addition to that, Angie, you know, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, I've been in the music industry my entire career and we're dealing with a lot of artists and, you know, you might buy their NFT and you might have the, you know, the opportunity to go to a rehearsal or, I mean, these things are so priceless. You know, I've been to many rehearsals over my career and all of them are fascinating, you know, and and to, and to be able to, that's never been able to happen before. You know, that was always, you know, if you're going to go to rehearsal, it was free. You might have, back in the 80s, won a radio promo or something like that. But this is now part of the many benefits that you'll get as being an NFT holder for that particular artist. Mm. And I like that too, that point that you were making in the age where we can't travel so readily of connecting audiences that are outside the local demographic. So say I'm a visitor attraction and I've decided to go ahead and do this. What would I need to think about and do in order to pull off an NFT offering? And what kind of money are we talking about? Well, listen, you know, you know, Glorious Digital, which is the company that we represent, we're saying you won't need any money. We'll take care of that for you. We, we you know, we're we're an end-to-end NFT organization from planning the creative. We will help your people actually plan their creative for starters, so people don't feel that they have to come up with that. We've got a whole team of really clever people that would be happy to take the brief and then engage with the customer to come up with something completely compelling so that it's not a cost thing. But then it's a matter of just what benefits you would also, as we've said, what would you like to add to this? You know, take the opportunity, take take a, I don't know, a zoo. You know, maybe the, maybe I could take my kids to, feed, to actually get into the enclosure and feed some animals, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, all that sort of thing. So to answer your question specifically, anybody that's got, a, you know, a public property, or, you know, Glorious Digital can help them come up with their NFT offering. And what's the sort of income potential that we're talking about? Well, listen, you know, that is completely impossible to answer. However, you know, to take, you know, on on one hand, you know, you mentioned Beeple in your introduction was 69 million, but you might find that 
that somebody wants to do an NFT and they want to charge $5 for it, right? And they want to sell 20,000 or 100,000. There's all these levels with NFTs. In other words, you might have, take the old gold, silver and platinum. That's probably, you know, you know your platinum NFT, there might be 100. The gold NFT, there might be 1,000. You know, the, the silver, whatever it might be, might be 10,000. There's all these, and each one will have different benefits to go with them. So that's actually, you know, monetizing it is actually quite exciting when you look at that. I was really curious when I was thinking back to when VR, AR sort of came along in the market, there were a few cases of private companies profiteering or operating in an unendorsed way from cultural institutions. So they were selling third party tours and that sort of thing on an on a museum without actually the museum's permission or or engagement in that. I can think of one in particular up in Boston. And um, is is there a risk with NFTs that somebody might try and I don't know create something on top of a museum's collection and then start trading without the institution's permission? Yes. Yeah, I think that piracy is always going to be with us in any industry, anyone you care to name. But however, you know, as James said before, it all comes back to provenance. You know, if you know, and that's where the, that's the advantage that the blockchain and the and the and, and the smart contract has. You can track it. You know exactly who is given permission for this work. So I don't know if you want to add to this, James, but the blockchain gives far more security from a piracy point of view than we've ever seen through any other platform, in my opinion. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, there have been there's been instances where a uh, famous public figure has walked past somebody with a high-res digital camera in a crowd and they've taken a photo and then and then they've looked to create an NFT saying that it's a it's an NFT of that of that character and and it is because that person was out in public the photograph was taken all of that's perfectly legal and they've said that it is an NFT of that of that personality but it's not endorsed by that person so you still need to go in and, and and check out when you're buying, where you're buying it from, and and you know who's selling it, and and all of those things are made are made crystal clear. The the blockchains it's pretty much unforgeable, and that's that's why two point three eight trillion dollars now trades on the blockchain because it's it's a very difficult authentication device to corrupt. Mm. And 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 also the thing is with glorious. You know, we know what business that we're in. It's very, very clear to us. You know, authentic digital masterpieces. We are going to create quality, quality content with quality partners. And, you know, so the the place that we sit in this new environment is a very safe place for us. We're going to be continuing to deal with the world's very best content providers. Mm, It's one of those things, isn't it, where you sort of got to be in it to have your authentic um, uh, assets represented. Otherwise, uh, the world gets away on us all. But but what, a, Angie, what an incredible opportunity this is for opening up uh, mm. revenue, for opening up assets which haven't been seen widely. Look, it's actually mind-blowing, the opportunities that are coming out of this. It's just incredibly exciting. But James, maybe this is a question for you. Does does digital art really exist forever? I mean, I've I've got CDs that I can't play in my house. Maybe even a mixtape or two, if I'm being honest. And and there's some file formats from even a few years back that I can't open up on my computer. This is a really cool one. I think any artwork that's ever created is it, it's 
it starts deteriorating immediately. There's all sorts of factors that apply to it. If it's a tangible piece of artwork, you've got UV problems or the way moisture might affect it. And, you know, if you hang any artwork on your wall, then you should obviously immediately install a sprinkler system so that it can't possibly get hurt in a fire, except that the sprinkler will probably ruin it. So, you know, what, what does last forever mean? And I think with digital artworks, to compare it to your CDs, the really exciting thing about NFTs is the biggest problem you're going to have is your, t- is your TV screen or your device that you're viewing it on is going to have that sort of inbuilt senescence that makes it die. But the NFT won't. To the extent that you can... We had an example where we were looking at an NFT that could be... that All our NFTs are looking at being made at 8K. And, and so it's, you know, all glorious NFTs so that the quality is, is staggering. But what if we could only get one made at 2K? You could potentially, although we won't do this, but you could release it and then allow an upgrade. And so if your NFT pops up in your digital library, you can have a, a an upgrade option. And, and when it's ready at 4K or 8K, then, then it could upgrade. So equally, if there was anything that ever went wrong, you can you can have a, an update function for this digital entity that that makes it about as safe as any artwork's ever been because you're not susceptible to any um, climactic factors. You're only susceptible to um, to uh, your digital wallet and it's cloud-based. It's pretty, it's pretty safe. So speaking of safety, there has been a few stories in the news of crypto heists lately. Is there any security risk with NFTs? Well, NFTs are a digital asset that when you download them, they appear in your in your wallet, essentially. Now, those things are, again, they're as safe as, as can be imagined through by being authenticated on the blockchain. There have certainly been cases of, of crypto heists, and they still haven't been explained, which is concerning, but it's still considerably more rare than, than, than uh, fiat money being stolen. So there's there's always going to be some risk to to I guess anything that's ever traded, but NFTs are a digital asset that are they're kept in your wallet as long as you keep your wallet safe, as as you would with your cash in your own wallet. Don't let it out of your sight. Don't let anyone else into it. Then you're in a pretty safe world. Mm-hmm. And what about diversity, equity, and inclusion? This this has been a huge focus for our sector, particularly in the past few years. What's your take on this, both from a buyer's and a seller's perspective? Is it going to improve DEI initiatives or do the opposite? And what sorts of things should we be careful with around that? Yeah, I'm really excited about this angle. I think there's there's the opportunity for, uh, look, uh, we're in New Zealand. New Zealand is, is in a far-flung corner of the world and we're we're a long way from being connected with a lot of what is going on around the world with the with these voices that you hear through news filters and NF, nfts are an opportunity for a content content creator to create something that they firmly believe in to put it out to the world and there can be followers on the other side of the globe and and it allows it allows those voices to be heard instantly clearly they can be directly supported by by this fan base and it, and it has a chance for this for these, for diversity, equity, and inclusion to be sort of much more widely considered around the world. Some of our artists are creating some amazing statements in their artworks, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where the audiences are going to pop up, because I've always been slightly frustrated being an art dealer in a in an island nation, and watching how the art world operates in Europe, where border borders almost dissolve 
um, because because collectors are quite happy to drive a couple of hours from France to Switzerland to see a new artist's work, but it's a bit hard to drive from Australia to New Zealand. And so NFTs create the, I guess, they help the shrinking of the world to to get those messages uh, more clearly delivered directly from the artist and and for those audiences to be created. And last one for you, what what is the stance on the environment environmental issues of crypto? Is it all fun and games until you check your carbon footprint? Well, it, you know, we've all done a bit of a masterclass in this over the last few months. Bitcoin, of course, is, you know, people talk about that it could, you know, power to mint a Bitcoin is the same as, you know, keeping the Switzerland, you know, lights on for a weekend. What I've learned and what is the truth is that there's two things. One is proof of work and one is proof of stake. So Bitcoin is proof of work, very highly energy energy inefficient. We are proof of stake. So the glorious NFTs are proof of stake. I believe it's pretty much the same as streaming a song on Spotify. It's almost like neither here nor there from a power usage point of view. So um, proof of work and proof of stake are the two things that I believe that you really need to know about to have this conversation. And and we, we believe that the Glorious Digital is very, very energy efficient. Awesome. Well, wow. so I think I finally understand this this whole space and I've got you both to thank for it. Thank you so much, Murray and James, for today. It has been and a word, glorious. <laughs> Thanks for having Absolute us, Andy. Pleasure. Thank you very much.